0: We know that we are compelled by Christ to move beyond just these four walls as a church. And we want to be a church that continues to look beyond our walls with the love of Jesus to bless the socks off this community. And as a church, we feel led to be a church that is for the good of our city. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Ascent. I'm Bill Stevens, I'm the lead pastor here. So good to have all you guys here. I love seeing your smiling faces. Could that be because school is back and your kids are out of the house? Is that what it is? I know you're supposed to say, no, I'm going to miss my kids. But come on, there is a party that's going. It's, gosh, it's nice to get them into school. And the teachers now have them. We love you teachers for taking that. Um, But I love seeing you guys, you guys that are new. It's super fun to have you here. What a great Sunday for you to be here. You get the personal invite to the the block party next week. We want all of you guys to be there. We'd love for that to be something that you really do feel comfortable about saying, you know what, to your neighbor, come on over. It's going to be pretty, it's going to be fun. Come on, come on over. You can come to church if you want to and then stick around for the block party. We hope that you guys do that, okay? Um, it's it's good for you to, to to be here because we're starting this new series and, and and so you're just at the very front of what we'll be talking about over the next five weeks. We're calling it all the fields. But before we get to that, let me let me give you a quick update on Maui. There's a number of you guys that have asked, you know, what are we doing to help the people in Maui? We've just gone through this. How can we help those people there? Well, We've learned something from, uh, from us going through it. We learned that there were, there were churches that were super helpful and churches that weren't as helpful, okay? The ones that were super helpful were the ones that didn't come with any agenda. They just said, we're here. We're here to help in any way we can, and we're gonna be on standby, ready for whatever you guys need. LifeBridge Church did that for us, and, and man, they met so many needs for us over the next three to four to six months, okay? And so that's what we wanna do too, I've reached out to a couple of pastors in Maui, and I've gotten some response from them. And, 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 they, and, and so we've said, look, we want to be there for you guys. And so I'm, as I continue that conversation with a couple of those pastors, we want to then bring it to you guys, and we will tell them, we're there for you guys. In whatever way, if you want me to come down and preach for you, I will. If you want us to have a team go down there, if you want us to send re- resources or money or whatever it's going to take, we want to help those folks because because you know we have we have gone through it, and so um, we're going to do all that we can to make sure that we're meeting the needs. But we want to do it um, and, and as a partnership. We hope that maybe we can even adopt one of those churches and just say whatever you need, we're going to we're going to supply for you guys. Okay, so that's what we're going to do. But in the meantime, man, we got to keep praying, keep praying for the folks down there. In fact. I want to pray right now for us God I, I pray that you would be would be with every one of the people that are down there. We know that they're in the heart of even searching for loved ones still. We know that there's a bunch of people that are displaced and have don't have any shelter. We know there's a lot of folks that are looking at empty empty lots that used to be their home and We know that feeling. God, we pray that your your hand would be on them and that they would trust you and find peace in you and know that you walk in the middle of all of the mess. You walk right in the middle of it with them. God, we pray that they they would seek you and they would find you in the middle of all of it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys, well, let's get going with what we're talking about today. Um, like I said, we're starting this new series called All the Feels. Um, when Maurice and John and I were first talking about the, the series that we're doing going, coming up to, going up to Christmas and then even after that, one of the things that we talked about was we come into this place and online, we come into this place with all kinds of feelings you have the you have, you have sadness that you're bringing in here and frustration that you're bringing in here and disappointment and impatience and all kinds of feelings that you have that you're coming in and we said what if we just spent some time looking at those feelings and and, and really unpacking some of those things Lisa Turkhurst wrote a book called unglued fantastic book and she says this she says feelings are indicators not dictators they can indicate where your heart is in the moment but that doesn't mean that they have the right to dictate your behavior and boss you around. You are more than the sum total of your feelings. I love that, that's just right on. But here's my question, what happens, go back to that really quick for us, Greta. what happens when feelings are, are truly are dictators? What if, they, what if you feel like they are the dictators in our life and, 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 our, and, and our life is, is, is just responding to these feelings that can sometimes be out of our control? See, we want to we spend time validating those feelings because we've got them. And so we want to spend some time really kind of saying, yes, we've got them, let's acknowledge that. But then we also want to give you hope in the midst of that. Because sometimes we feel like we're a kite. Our feelings are kind of the, the kite that's floating without a string. And we want to we anchor that to some hope. In Hebrews chapter 6, it says, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. And so we want to anchor ourselves in the midst of all of the feelings that all of us are having. Man, I need to be anchored right now. I feel like my feelings are dictating a lot of my life. And man, if you're, this is one of those. This is one of those sermons and one of those uh, series is that I'm going. God, teach me before I teach anybody else, because I'm in that space too. I, uh, Jackie and I had, this, had an opportunity this, just a couple of weeks ago to fly up to Seattle. A friend of ours asked her to do her son's wedding, a friend from college. And, uh, and so we flew up to Seattle. We got to do something we have never done before. We flew first class. First time ever that Jackie and I got to fly first class. I know, it's weird. 54 years old, we can't afford first class, but since they paid for it, we did. And you guys, we soaked it all up, man. I mean, I normally sleep on the plane, not this time. We were like, we were, I mean, there's there's shoulder room. No one's hitting me on the shoulder. You know, there's, there's leg room. There's, we, we're ordering mimosas for free, you know, and, and would you like the cheese platter? Sure. I don't even like cheese platters, but man, I'll take it in first class. Someone even came up to our section to use the bathroom, and I'm like, excuse me, there's a curtain right there, <laughs> you know, I loved it. I loved it. And then we were in Seattle and we were having so much fun in Seattle. And then, and then, you know how when you're on a vacation and you get done with your vacation and, and, and you've, you've kind of suspended reality and then reality hits you like a ton of bricks? We flew back on first class. Same mimosa, you know, same bathroom. But this time, man, reality was hitting. This time I'm flying home and it's like all oh, the feels are coming back to me. I mean, I just was thinking as I'm sitting there, I'm going, I am one month away from saying goodbye to Maggie before she heads off to Boston for the rest of her life and she'll never visit us again. I'm thinking about every Thanksgiving and Christmas, we'll never see her again. I mean, I am going to be an absolute mess. Anytime I think about it, I start tearing up and I am going to be a puddle in a month. You talk about feelings that will dictate, you guys will know it. Those feelings are going to dictate my life. And I started thinking about Jackie and what she's going through right now with her mom and her mom going through dementia and, 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 and they're trying to figure out her and her siblings about what to do about assisted living and what's next. And kind of her, her dad's a very proud uh, football coach and the, the, the old football coach that's going, no, no, we're going to stay right here and the, all of that that she's going through the feelings of sadness and guilt. She feels like she needs to be up there to help take care of her mom and and, and be there for her siblings and what they're trying to do too. And I mean, that's feelings that tend to dictate life. I was thinking more about this house that we've got. I told you guys a few weeks ago that we, we, had to, we built the house back up after the fire and, and, uh, and, and, you know, but then we have to sell it because it costs more to build it than we had for insurance, a couple hundred thousand dollars uh, to, uh, more than we could afford. So we got to sell the thing. But you guys, get this right before we left for for the trip, our neighbors started their rebuild. And so they dug the hole for their foundation and they dug it too close to our property. And all that rain that we've been having, now half of our yard on that side of our house is in our neighbor's hole. Okay, Um, that's not a good selling point. When people come to visit your house and say, this is a cute house, but your bushes and shrub, they're all in the neighbor's hole. okay. That's, but we promise it won't be like that long term. I'm a little disappointed, a little frustrated. I mean, that's my way of saying I am mad, okay? It's the, those feelings are feelings that can dictate, can dictate what's happening. Man, people have asked me, you know, how how are you feeling these days? How are you feeling? And I say, man, here's how I describe it. I feel like I'm putting a puzzle together without any edge pieces. Have you ever put a 2,000-piece puzzle together without edge pieces? Where you're just going, I don't even know where to start. You're just kind of digging through it going, well, here's some light blue for the sky and dark blue for the water, but I, how do you even put it together? Do you guys feel that way? Have you, have you ever feel that way? Raising your kids, you just don't even have any edge pieces. With your family, you don't have any edge pieces. With your future, you don't have any edge pieces. You feeling that overwhelmed? Man, we need some hope in the midst of the feelings that can tend to dictate our lives. That's what we're talking about in this series. And we're just going to go one by one in it and look at some different feelings and how do we unpack that stuff. So let's pray together and we'll dig into it. Father, I, I thank you for your presence in our feelings. And we come in here into this place, and man, we're carrying a bunch of stuff, and you meet us, and you speak to us, and you give us hope, and you give us an anchor, and I pray that you would take a bunch of kites that are flying around the wind without any string, all of us, and give us a string that would anchor us to you. So be with us, Lord, as we walk through this stuff. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, all right. So, so let's, let's talk about the feeling that we have today, okay? The one that we're going to talk about today. This one, this one is, is one that when someone comes to you and says, hey, how are you doing? You know, our first answer is I'm fine, because that's just what we say. Because we don't want to tell a story, Right. If we really said, well, I'm sad, and it, well, now that comes, you know, you have to tell a story, and who wants to hear your story? You know, they're like, no, I just asked you how you're doing just to hear you say I'm fine. You know, I didn't mean for you to tell me that you're actually sad, and I don't even know if I want to tell you that I'm sad. So you, I'm sad or I'm angry. What if they said that? Oh, I'm angry. It's like, oh, crap. Okay, um, so what's going on? You know, we have to tell the story. But there's one feeling that we don't even have to tell the story because we all feel it. When someone asks us, how are you doing? And our response is, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. See, when we say that one, that's a safe one to say because they will go, yeah, I get that, me too. See, I'm exhausted is a universal feeling that most of us feel at all times. You think about that, you go, come on, as a parent, of any age of your children, a parent of young kids where you're just going, my gosh, they're so dependent, but they want to be independent. And, and, and they want, you want to just go, am I raising an, a, a human being or an alien? Is, is this person going to be nice in high school? Because they're not nice at two. You know, so you're, you're exhausted just watching what's happening. And then you feel like, gosh, I just can't wait till they get to the school age where it's easier. And and then you're going, wait, I didn't know that there'd be a battle in middle school to tell them to brush their teeth and to put some deodorant on. And I'm tired of that argument. I'm tired of that battle. I'm exhausted. You guys, I mean, you guys, I know, you guys brush your teeth every day and you put deodorant every day, but there's some that don't, okay? So, So you have that, you're exhausted, exhausted from that. We're exhausted with your high school students and you're exhausted with the relationships they have with their siblings and you wonder, will they ever be there for each other? They just hate each other. There'll be a day, maybe, you know, so, so you're ex- you're, we're exhausted. We're exhausted in our jobs. I heard a poll two years ago that said that over 50% of Americans say they're on the edge of burnout in their job. That means every other one of you are exhausted in your job. And that's just at work. And if we're bringing that home and we're exhausted with our finances we're exhausted with our health, we're exhausted in our spiritual lives saying, man, I don't do enough or I'm doing too much or I I wish I could be a better Christian or whatever you think or or, I don't even know if I want to be a Christian with what I'm seeing around the church these days. We carry an exhaustion. And most of us can relate to that, right? Hebrews one I mean, uh, Psalm 127 says it this way. It says, it's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh, they recognize, I recognize that description. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. Eating the bread of anxious toil. Dang it. Is that what this is called? A puzzle without edge pieces? Anxious toil? I think that's what a lot of us feel. That that feeling of just God, how do I even catch a breath? Anxious toil. But then it says, for he gives he gives to his beloved sleep. Sleep, man, when I'm exhausted, that's one of the hardest things to do with sleep. And so he, he gives sleep, which means there's hope. There's hope, but well, we got to try to find that hope in, 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 our, in our exhaustion. Let's look at some Scripture when it comes to that, because the Bible is filled with it. It's like God actually knows us. Do you believe that in Scripture? He knows us. And in that, he's, you, you open it up, and you see all these different stories of how God is looking at how exhausted we are. In fact, Jesus, you remember that time where Jesus is walking to, um, to, to he walks through Samaria and he had just left all the mess that's happening back in Jerusalem, and he's walking through Samaria, and he gets to that well, and he sits there with that woman at the well. Remember when he's sitting there with her, and he's just going, man, I am exhausted from the journey. When Jesus says that, he wasn't just physically exhausted. He was mentally exhausted. He was spiritually exhausted. Man, he was dealing with the fact that back at home, they're saying to him, man, you're healing on the wrong day of the week. He's like, man, you're missing the point. He sent his disciples in that moment to the city. He said, "Just go. Just you could just take picture and just going, "Okay, Peter, get away just for a second, please. I'm exhausted from this journey." Man, you got to hear it. We're in this together. And God is saying that too. We're in this together. I know it. We're in this together. Now I want to go to an Old Testament passage to give us a little bit of hope, okay? I'm going to go to a, to a guy named Elijah. Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament. He was, he was one, of the, one of the powerhouses of Scripture, you guys. He's, he's compared to Moses, I, 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 Elijah is. And people don't know that much about Elijah. Elijah was, was around when King Ahab was there. And King Ahab was a king that was messing up in lots of different places. And Elijah went to him and said, man, you are not living a godly life. Elijah could have been killed for that, but he's going, man, I had, he had so much trust in God. This is a man of great faith. And he's going, no, I'm going to stand up to that. And so he tells him, man, you're not living a godly life. And then later he predicts, he does this, he prophesies, he predicts that there would be a famine and there'd be in the land, there'd be a, there'd be a drought in the land for three years. And then it happened. And people were blaming Elijah. They were saying, you're the one that said this was going to happen. And it happened. And then, and then King Ahab calls out all these prophets of Baal to say, you guys got to fix this, 850 of them. Elijah goes right up against those guys and says, man, you can dance and sing all you want to your God. It's not going to happen. And then finally he, he says, no, it's going to happen through my God. And it does. And so, so Elijah conquers these prophets of Baal. Man, he steps up. His faith was so strong. He wasn't afraid until... He went up against Ahab's wife, Jezebel. And when he went up against her, man, then he got scared. Listen to what it says. It says this. It says, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do me and more also if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And then Elijah was afraid. He got up and he fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servants left. He left Jezreel and went a hundred miles down to Beersheba. Isn't that interesting? He stands up to Ahab with no problem, stands up to these prophets, these 850 prophets, no problem. But then as soon as Jezebel threatens him, he runs. He runs to Beersheba. Now listen to this though, because this is when you really start to capture Elijah and the fact that his feelings and especially his exhaustion becomes the dictator in his life. Listen to what happens. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. Come on, you can picture all the feelings that he has just gone through. All that stuff piled up. And it's, you, can, you, know, you know how it sits right here on your, high in your chest and in your throat. And that's where he's at in this point. He says, he asked that he might die if, it is enough now, Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. My ancestors stunk at this, and so do I. And he says, then he laid down under the broom tree, and he fell asleep. He was physically, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted. And it was dictating his life. When you get to that point, we start to see it come out. We're more cynical. And the hard part about it is we're all facing it at all times. Many of us would say right now, if you turn to your person next to you and say, are you tired? I think we'd say, yeah, a lot of us would. But we get more cynical when we're tired. He had self-doubt in that moment, and we get all kinds of self-doubt in that moment that we just aren't capable of actually doing anything. He disengages with others and we disengage. He blames others, blames God, and we do the same thing. Man, Elijah, this man of great faith, knows exactly what you're feeling right now and what I'm feeling. Well, what can we learn from this? You know, I was listening to Craig Groeschel. He's a pastor in Oklahoma, and, and I was listening to him a long time ago talk about this. And I love the simple things that he picked up right off the bat from this. See, look at what, look at what, look at what Elijah did. First thing it is, he ran, and in the midst of his exhaustion, man, he is running that hundred miles from Jezreel to to Be- to uh, to, where? to to wherever he went to. So he went from there to there, and, so, and he's exhausted in Beersheba. And he went to, from the, the he, he's exhausted. And that's what we do, you guys. In the midst of our exhaustion, what do we do, man? We keep pushing. We keep going harder. If you, you need to be the perfect parent. And so in your exhaustion as a parent, what do you do? We just keep pressing further. In your exhaustion at your work, what do you do? You press further. In your exhaustion at school, what do you do? You press harder. And that's what we do. We just keep running ourselves into the ground from it. What else did Elijah do? Man, he tried to do it on his own. Remember when it says, he says, he got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah. He left his servants there. He tried to do it by himself. Something weird about it. Even though we know everyone deals with exhaustion, we feel like there's a pride that says, I can't let somebody let, know that. I can't let somebody in on that. I just got to get, figure this out on my own. And that's what he was doing. He's figuring it out, trying to figure out his own. And man, he dwelt on the negative. Take my life. I'm no longer, I'm no better than my ancestors. We conclude, I am the worst parent out there. We conclude in the midst of our exhaustion, I'm the worst employee out there. I'm the worst student, the worst teammate, the worst friend. That's what we conclude in my exhaustion right now, all I'm thinking about is Maggie's heading off to Boston. And I never taught her how to change a tire. I'm the worst parent ever. I was telling that to Whitney and Maggie, and they're going, oh, my dad taught me when I was in eighth grade. I didn't. <laughs> I'm the worst parent out there. Maggie's going to go to Boston, get a flat tire, and she won't know what to do. Does she know how to call She could call AAA. That's a good point. <laughs> but that means I have to pay for AAA, and I can't afford that because I'm flying first class these days. Uh, <laughs> So, so, so we go to those places. It's the ragged edge. But in Elijah's darkest moment, when he's sitting there saying, God, I can't handle this anymore. God came to him in the form of an angel. And now before you go, well, no, no, I don't understand the angel stuff. Angel is the presence of God. They saw an angel, but the angel is the presence of God. And the presence of God is around us in the midst of all that we're trying to go through, all of our exhaustion. And the angel comes to Elijah and says, says, suddenly an angel touched him and said, you're an idiot. No, it didn't say that. That's what we think God's saying to us in the midst of our exhaustion. That's why we have spiritual exhaustion. So going on the middle of all the rest of the stuff I'm doing, I'm screwing up with you too, God. And so, but he says, but he says, all the angel said was, "Get up and eat." He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on a hot stone, and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and laid down again. Okay, here we go. Here's where a little bit of hope comes in. Okay, here's where a little hope comes in. What do we What, can, what do we learn? What's God telling us? Well, one of the things he's saying to us is sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is rest. Lisa Turker says it's to let your soul exhale. Sometimes that's the most spiritual thing we can do. But I tell you what, you guys, man, I've sat in that seat way too often where I've heard a pastor say, you need to take a Sabbath. And I'm like, I don't don't know how to do that. I'm not good at resting. I'm up there in Seattle with Jackie and we're on, we're on a, but Jackie's sister has a boat on Elliott Bay that looks over the city. It's one of the prettiest views you got and we got to stay the night on the boat and the next day I'm sitting there in the morning, I'm seeing this beautiful view, perfect sunny day in Seattle. The Mount Rainier is out. It's all perfect and I'm just stressed like crazy about what's happening back at home. I don't know how to rest. I just feel like, what what do I still got to do? Craig Rochelle says it this way. He says, your spiritual enemy will whisper to you, you are too important to do this to rest. He says that to, if you're a single mom, he'll say that to you for sure. You are too important to rest. You are letting everyone else down. He says, don't let your mind bully your body. Remember, one of the top 10 commandments is take a rest, to be still, to know that he is God. And so I know that I gotta learn how to take a rest. It means I gotta change a habit. I've been reading the book, The Power of Habit, you guys. It's a fascinating book. And in the midst of that book, it talks, about, it talks about how you have a cue and you have a routine and you have a reward. He says, that's our habits. We have a cue, a routine, and a reward. And he says, the golden rule of changing your habits is keep your cue and keep your reward, but change your routine. And I'm realizing that's what I've got to do. For example, like with the Broncos, like I give this just so you can understand this a little bit more. With the Broncos, okay, the cue for the Broncos over the last five years is we want to be a good team. We want to be a team, come together. The reward is, and maybe we'll win games, maybe even a Super Bowl. But the routine has been all messed up, right? The routine has been horrible, and last year might have been the worst of the routine. And so for all of you Bronco fans, you're going, and Sean Payton's the answer because that's going to change the routine. The cue will remain the same. We're going to be a good team. The routine needs to change because the reward still needs to be, and we can win games if we change this routine. Now, I'm a Seahawks, so I know you guys have Russ too, and that's going to take more than just changing the routine. Anyway, um, but for me, for me, when I look at it, My cue in my life is I just want to love God with everything I've got. I want to love God. That's my cue. My reward is that the people around me would be fully blessed by that and they would be challenged too to love God with everything they've got and then love everyone else in the way Jesus loves them. That's, that would be the, the great reward to my life is if, if I can love God and then, and then if, if somebody else would love him too because of that and they would love other people and this kingdom would be impacted by that. That's cue and reward. But the routine for me to get there has always been and work your tail off. Work like crazy to make that happen. And if, you, and if you're slighting any part of being able to make that happen, you got to work harder to make it happen. In fact, there's a, there's a book, When I Relax, I Feel Guilty, by Tim Hansel. It's one of my favorite authors. He's written a bunch of books that, before he passed away. And, and this one, I've preached on this a number of times. If you've been around for the last 10 years, you've heard me read this before. It's called Almost Christianity. I've read this before, and it's been such a challenge to me to want to live out my cue and my reward. He says this. He says, I realized how many times I've been satisfied to come home in the evening recognizing the impossibility of the task, but somehow condoning my posture within it by saying I was almost your person today, Lord. I would, I would pat myself on the back with the rationalization that I was at least better than some. Unknowingly, I had allowed my, my life to settle into what I now call almost Christianity. Because of the difficulty of the task, because of my fear of accountability to others, because of my defensiveness and my unwillingness to live up to the demands of Scripture and of God himself, I had slowly and imperceptibly become very good at excusing myself. Then I thought, what would it have been like if Jesus had done the same thing? What if God had almost revealed himself in Jesus Christ? What if Christ were almost here, almost born and almost lived and almost died? What if he would have said, Ask and it will be almost given to you, seek and you will almost find, knock and it will almost be open unto you? My almost Christianity took on a much different light. I realized how many times, how many times I had played the game of being one of Jesus' almost disciples. I recalled how many times I had prayed almost believing and walked through my days if he were almost risen. It was not a question of theology. It was a question of lifestyle. I have preached this thing. You should see this page. It is filled with notes. I have preached on this so many times with the cue and the reward and what's in between and the routine is to just don't be an almost Christian. And in my life, I have taken that and said that just means work harder. At every one of those things, work harder. But I I can honestly say, I think I'm finally growing. 54 years old, I think I'm finally growing a little bit in this. Because there's another part to this. I was reading it while I was on this trip up to Seattle, and I'm reading it, and I read a little further into that chapter, and I'm going, oh my gosh. Listen to what Tim Hansel says at the end of the chapter about almost Christianity and our need to go as hard as we possibly can, exhaust yourself to death. Listen to what he says. He says, almost Christianity reveals itself in feverish work, excessive hurry, and exhaustion. How did I miss that? I think I just read the first part and just stopped. Stopped. I believe that the enemy has done an effective job of convincing us that unless a person is worn to a frazzle, running here and there, he or she cannot possibly be be a dedicated, sacrificing spiritual Christian. We need to remember that our strength lies not in hurried efforts and ceaseless long hours, but in our quietness and confidence the world today says enough is not enough, and Christ answers softly, enough is enough. Man, I'm learning. I'm in the heart of learning. And what I'm, what I'm picturing in my head, and this might feel weird to you guys, but what I'm picturing in my head is I want to learn how to breathe as God breathes. God doesn't take anxious breaths. God doesn't take overwhelmed breath. God breathes. How do I learn how to breathe at that pace? How do I I match that breath? How do I look at all the things in my life and match that breath that says, you can go from almost Christianity to really live in your life for me, not by the hurried life of fixing it all up, but by just breathing that pace that is the breath that I have for you. Recognize me in your life and then move at that pace. Well, how do we do that? Well, there's a couple of things that I'm learning. One of them is is this: I, I want to do a better job encountering it with. It to, it, I want to do a better job to encounter the presence of God that's right there with me. I want to do a better job, not because I have to, because that will help me capture that breath later on in First Kings 19. Elijah has this experience. The Lord said, "Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord's about to pass by." And a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? The whisper is what prompted him to move forward. Forward in what he wanted to do. It wasn't something grand. It was, it was a whisper. And I started thinking more about that. I'm going, we can't hear a whisper when we're racing. When our mind is racing, our body is racing, our soul is racing, you can't hear a whisper. I was thinking about that. I was going, I was thinking if it wasn't so corny, I would have done it this morning. Chris Lagadros is our high school and middle school pastor. And, and he was a state uh, runner in the, four, in the 400 hurdles in high school. If Chris would have come up here right now and sprinted past me while I whisper something to him, if he sprinted past me and said, you've got sexy legs, Chris. If I would have whispered that to him, he, he wouldn't have heard it when he's running by. What if I told him beforehand, I'm going to whisper something to you. And then he runs by. you got sexy legs, Chris. He would have gone sexy and then he just ran off. He wouldn't have caught it then either. We will not catch The presence of God and the whispers that he does in our life, if we're constantly sprinting, not letting ourselves breathe. You know what the best ways to do that is? It's through prayer. Now, I don't want to be someone that says, so you just need to pray and then everything is going to go away. No, but we got to think of a different way to think about prayer, you guys. I think we all think about it like I don't know how to and I don't want to say the right things and what am I supposed to do? I met with, with Lauren Humdy. She, is, she heads up our prayer team, which is just this beautiful group of people that covers all of us in prayer and invites all of you to be part of that. I was meeting with Ms. Humdi, and she was, she was telling me, she says, you know what my vision is for our prayer team and for all of prayer in this church? She said, I want to take people on the journey to amen. And I thought, that is so beautiful. It's not, I'm going to teach you the right words, teach you the right way. I just want to take you on a journey to amen. A journey to the cross. A journey through the exhaustion. I want to take you on a journey to the amen. And, 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 at the end, and when she's told me that two weeks ago, I told her all the things that I'm facing as we're heading out on our trip. And she started praying for me. And in the middle of her prayer, she had no idea I was preaching on this in two weeks. She said she started to pray and whispered the last part of her prayer. She just started whispering. And man, did I sit up and pay attention when she was whispering her prayer. God's whispering to us all the time through the ordinary things. And are we slowing down and trying to catch the breath of God to listen to it? You know who's really good at this? My wife. Jackie, when we had, when our kids were little and she was changing diapers and doing dishes, she said, I started to find as I was changing diapers that this is a moment that God might be getting my attention. She's hearing the whispers of God while she's changing a diaper. She's hearing the whispers of God while she's cleaning a pan. We've got to recognize that God's doing that all the time and are we... Racing? Are we slowing down enough to hear that whisper? When you look, when you look at uh, at other things that we've we've got to do, man, we've got to we got to recognize we need each other. Elijah didn't recognize that, but we got to recognize we need each other. We can't keep living this life thinking I'm gonna just do this on my own. I gotta lean on Jackie. I gotta lean on this covenant group of guys that I have that we get together with. I gotta lean on my mentor in my life, Don Bachman, to, to help me to walk through that. We gotta lean on each other. You gotta get into a core group. You gotta get into a small group. You gotta get with some other people and say we gotta do this together. Part of the re- with, with 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 the loss of the houses and the fire, a bunch of us got together, and man, just to be together was so important because it's like it slowed down the everything was speeding around us and. And everything else, and it's slowed down enough. We got to slow down and say, Man, we're in this thing together. And then we've got to discover, in the midst of that, God's rhythm. What did He do when He created the heavens and the earth? He worked on day one, worked, 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 worked. And then what did He do? He rested. Did God need to rest? I don't know if God needed to do anything, but He shows us a rhythm. He says, we got to rest. Earl Palmer, he's a lead pastor for us in Seattle when we are in our formative years of faith for Jackie and me. And he said it in, his, in one of his sermons, and I'll never forget it. He said, stop looking ahead to three months from now for that break you're going to get. God didn't look, he didn't work for, for, for 90, 89 days and then took a break. He says, you got to take that in that season and compile it down into way and press it down into one week? What's it look like to rest in your week? If God's setting us up for that's the rhythm, then we've gotta take that rhythm. We gotta say that's, that's what we need to learn, to learn his breath. In fact, I love what you, how Eugene Peterson paraphrases Matthew 11. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That's that's just saying, breathe as God breathes. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. You ever thought about that? The pace of God? And how do we discover that pace in the midst of our exhaustion? I'll go back one more time to Tim Hansel. He says this The journey has been my teacher in so many ways, and our Lord has been faithful in persistently translating my incessant doing into a deeper sense of being. The process is still far from over in my life. I still struggle with life's hectic velocity. In fact, no one except a lean and lonely carpenter some years back has ever come close to living at a godly pace. All of us will fail at times. We are servants of the impossible. But our goal is in the journey, the journey to amen, in coming closer. And as I look back over my footprints, I am grateful for the stamina of God. Will we be able to say that? Will you be able to look back at your life and say, I'm grateful for the stamina of God? And you say, yeah, but I can't do that with little kids. It's impossible. Come on. God's right there in the midst of it. Can we find the stamina of God even in changing a diaper at five in the morning? Can you, in your job that you've got all kinds of stuff and you feel like it's impossible, can we find the stamina of God to say, I want to breathe as you breathe? See, we need to stop racing. We need to stop doing it alone. We need to stop beating ourselves up. The angel didn't beat us up. We need to find the stamina and rhythm and breath of God. We need to change the habit and let the cue and the reward remain the same, but change the habit. We need to accept rest. We need to find tender moments. See, the puzzle might still be missing the edge pieces. And you still might be facing the same kind of stuff that Jackie and I are facing right now. And the puzzle still might be missing the edges, but God is saying, let's put it together anyway. I'll work on the sky, you, you work on the water. I'll work on the houses, you work on the roads. And you might not see what picture we're actually putting together in the midst of it, but you will. You might not see what's going to happen with Maggie when she heads off to Boston, but you will. You might not see what's going to happen with your house, but you will. You might not see what's going to happen with your children as you're in the middle school years with them, but you will. You might not see when you're graduating from high school or from college and not knowing what's next, but you will as we take a puzzle that might feel like there's no edge pieces to it and we participate with God and we say, let's put it together anyway. How do we find that breath? Slow it down enough to say, I'm gonna work at your pace. Father, I pray that, I pray that as we race in our heads from one thing to the next, as we, as we all say, I'm tired and I'm exhausted, those are real and, and that's, it's true. It's okay to admit it. We have to admit it. But when we do, Lord, I pray that you would meet us there and help us to slow our mind, our hearts, our souls down. Meet us in the physical in the emotional, in the spiritual, meet us there and help us to to breathe as you breathe. Take that exhaustion, Lord, and turn it into a hope that you walk with us in the midst of all of it. Help us to to work at that in a way that allows us to breathe. We thank you that you meet us in it. It's in your name we pray, amen.